What's up, nerds? And welcome back to your weekly movie review podcast. That's right, you're tuned in and locked in to the 3FN Podcast. As always, we are coming to you from the 8122 Production Studios at Dragon Master Games. This week, we are celebrating the 25th anniversary of one of cinema's great gems. That's right, we're going to be reviewing The Big Lebowski. But before we get there, I am your host, Rich, and the nerds, unfortunately, are not all here, as Ron is still out missing for uh, uh, saving the city of Binghamton. He's got the cape on again, although peek behind the curtain, if you listened last week, you know we recorded this the same day. So... (laughs) Of course, though, the man that is here does not need an introduction, yet he has the longest introduction in all of podcasting. Ladies and gentlemen, I give to you hashtag Big Natty Cool, hashtag Mad Dog Strong Style, hashtag Challenge Accepted, hashtag Diesel Malenko, because he's a man of a thousand and four hashtags. He is the leader of the Minnows Gang and is your favorite podcaster's favorite podcaster. He's the man, the myth. And the legend rolled into one jolly old ginger bearded feller. Ladies and gentlemen, I give to you Diesel. The Diesel abides. The Diesel abides. You know, it is you're, you're kind of like the dude, the Diesel. But we don't call you the Diesel. Yeah, we, we should. I, I think I've earned the the. You, you know what? Maybe <laughs> I'll start throwing it in the Diesel from this day forth. Well, I mean, you'll miss next week's show. <laughs> Just as you guys know, like I said, if you listen last week, you know Diesel will not be here for next week's show. As of as of our recording, he's uh, relaxing on a day off, technically from uh, running Dragon Master Games for two weeks. So we recorded these earlier. So that's why we're talking about the future. That's also why we're not going to say, "Hey, Diesel, how was your week?" Because uh, uh, we'd have to make something up about. Uh, uh, we're going to say first of all, uh, you'd probably be like uh, the. Customers are pains in the ass. Yeah, yeah. The customers are pain in the ass. Um, I'm sorry I wasn't here for the uh, the resurrection of Betty White or something crazy that happened in the news this week. You know, we had to do this early. Yes, there was a <laughs> seance, whatever. And then my thing would be like, oh, I just came back from New York City. Uh, I went to see a Knicks game with my kid, and it was great. The Knicks hopefully won. I mean, you, I I can't. I don't want to say won because I don't know if they will or not because it hasn't happened yet. Well, do it right now. What's the final score of the game oh, that you're seeing? <laughs> all right, so all right, all right, I'll do it. I'll play this game. Knicks 105, Houston Rockets 89. Ooh, okay. 105 so, to 89. So if Knicks the, victory at Madison Square Garden. If the score turns out to be like that, then uh, you got to tell your friends to subscribe to our Patreon because we are soothsayers. Yes, and then maybe we need to start doing a different podcast where I give out scores and oh, tips yeah. on gambling. I know we'll have a number one listener from uh, Coach Duffy of the ODPH. I just want to throw that out there. Uh, bazinga. You know, I never watched that show, but I still know the words. So clips from that show come up on my Facebook feed all the time, and I am happy to know that I was right in not having to ever watch that stupid fucking show. You know, I listen, if, if people like something, I don't mind, but I heard the, the most profound thing I ever heard about this show is that Big Bang Theory was is a, is a show for uh, dumb people about smart people, yep. and Rick and Morty is a smart show for smart people. Yep, or like, um, it's always funny in Philadelphia is a smart show about stupid people. That's true. Yep. That's it's, true. it's that weird take. It's like, dude, it's a Chuck Lorre show. Like, it's two and a half men with smart people. It's, it's Listen, I just want to throw this out there. If you're entertained by it, that's cool. Whatever floats your boat. I, we're the people that sit in this room all the time 
and tell all of you, if you love something, love it. If we don't like it, that's fine. Just like if there's something I love that you don't like, I don't care. You know why? Because that's what makes the world go around. As long as, you know, my job is to be entertaining and give you my point of view. We don't sell ourselves out. Like when we critique a movie, I'm not owed anything by a studio. I'm not, you know, Netflix isn't reaching out to me and giving me free shit or anything to, to review a film. Hence why, you know, when weeks where we don't do a new film for whatever the reason, obviously this one is because of a recording issue because I will be out of town and you will be running a store, uh, you know, and uh, by yourself, there's a reason why we're doing an older film because it's just easier for us to do it early and get it out of the way. But even on weeks where we don't, we don't go and find a movie and it's not shot at anybody who does that. It's just, that's just us. So that's why we're always like, love what you love. Bring it to the table. Studios at Big Natty Cool on Twitter. I can be bought. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you can, because there's certain movies that we've seen that I know you would you could try to do it, but you would not have a straight face, and I will videotape you just for future reference. I, I'll fucking hit you with some of the kickback too. <laughs> At Big Natty Cool, we'll talk prices. I will give you a five out of five on your tremendous piece of shit movie, and I will make it believable. Sixty-five. That's a rough one. That's yeah. a rough call. It was a a, a critical look. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, 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 it's a rough one. I, I would have to do some writing and like do some mental gymnastics, but I could get it done. Oh, I'm not saying you can't. You're smart <laughs> enough. But I, I just want to point out there's, there's there has been people who've asked before, like, hey, you know, you didn't like this movie that I love. That's fine though. Like, I we don't all have to love the same thing. There's movies that I love that people hated. There's movies, you know, vice versa. That's just oh, yeah. how the world works. And I think that the best thing we can do is be honest and give you an honest to God opinion. And if, if you liked a movie that I didn't like, you, there's some common ground. There's probably some things that you liked and didn't like. And, you know, you can listen and I will listen to you. That's, that's how a works. great thing about the world having so many critics because you find one that falls in line with a lot of movies that you like that they also enjoy that. Then chances are future movies that they enjoy, you're going to enjoy because you have the same taste. Yeah, so like I said, I'm glad that you all listen. Everybody tunes in. If you're new to listening, that's what you're going to get here is our honest God takes on everything. And, you know, I, I just enjoy it. Let's have a good time. Uh, a little show note before we dive into, of course, the shameless plugs and then get into the show because obviously there's no Diesel's movie triple stuff this week. Uh, the show note is this. Because we're reviewing a movie that is now celebrating its 25th anniversary, we will not be breaking this into a spoiler and spoiler free section. We will give you the people who are in the movie, but this is also going to be a different review. We're not breaking down this movie you know per se how it goes in order because this movie if you've ever seen the big lebowski you know that's not really possible so what we're going to do is we're going to give you who made the movie and all that stuff but in top on top of that we're going to just kind of share our feelings about the movie scenes that we like things that we disliked you know and stuff like that to give us to the conclusion of where the movie is even some theories on the internet and our own theories about what the movie means because that's this movie. If you've seen the movie, you understand it. So just forewarning you, if you've never seen 1998's The Big Lebowski, when we get into the review, yeah, the first part is kind of spoiler free because we're just talking about, you know, who's in the movie, who made the movie, etc. However, we are not going to play a spoiler. When we dive into the review, we're diving into yeah. the review. And like I said, it, for you, we're not doing scene by scene because you just can't. Yeah. This is just one of those movies where we're going by what we liked, what we didn't like, what worked, what resonates, why we believe this is a pop culture phenomenon, because it is, and going from there. So just got to get that out of the way as a show note. But now that I've gotten that out the way, I got to get out the way the last big ticket before we can hop into the 3FN Movie Club review, and that is some shameless plugs. Of course... If you would like to find out any information about the 3FN Podcast, visit 3FNPodcast.com. 
tpublic.com. There you can find all of our social media accounts. Also the T Public link. Also the link to 3FN uh, on Patreon. Patreon.com slash 3FN podcast. For as little as $1 a month, you get a ton of extra bonus content and help support the show. Also, while you're there, check out the sections for 3FN Podcast and 607TWS, the wrestling show, where we talk all things pro wrestling. Myself and Ken M. from the ODPH Podcast. Hey, you want to find out more about Ken M. and the ODPH? Go over to Friends of the Show, and that will take you right to the ODPHpodcast.com. Also, you can uh, stream the show right from there. The ODPH Show as well at 607TWS and 3FN Podcast, right on 3FNPodcast.com. Go figure. Also, while you're there, check out the bands who provide us with the music that we play, including our good friends Shout at the Robots, whose song Fail Better is the theme song for 3FN Podcast each and every week. Make sure you support them and all the other bands on Spotify, YouTube Music, and Bandcamp. And last but certainly not least, check out our sponsors who help bring the show to you each and every week, commercial free. First of all, our major sponsor, Dragon Master Games. For all your Magic the Gathering and gaming needs, visit them on the World Wide Web, Dragon Master games.com also rex to rods auto detailing if you want to like your car like showroom fresh diesel who do you call 607-644-3389 and don't make sure when you're ready to put the pride back into your ride you tell them the 3fn podcast sent you also we have our good friends at sci-fi horror fest going down august 25th and 26th in vernon new york at the vernon down casino uh, we got celebrities like Felissa Rose there and much more to come. Also, vendors, vendor information, how to buy tables. There's limited tables left as of right now. Also, limited VIP tickets, but there's also weekend passes and day passes. All of that information is at SciFiHorrorFest.com. And last but not least, uh, we're going to give a shout out to the official energy drink of the 3FN podcast, Dubby Energy. Go to Dubby.gg. That's D-U-B-B-Y.gg and place an order today. And at checkout, use the promo code 3FNPod, the number Three FNPOD for 10% off. And if you like what you get, you can use that code each and every time to get 10% off. 3FNPOD. And if you forget any of that information, remember, just go to 3FNPodcast.com. That's right, a little bit of the warning track diesel. Yeah, get it. See, I did better than uh, the last one we recorded. <laughs> uh, you know, to you guys, it was a week apart. To us, it was mere minutes. <laughs> Actually, it was about a half hour. Anyways, Diesel is that time. There's no Diesel's movie triple stuff. There's no top three. There's nothing. We're just going to dive right in. So are you ready to jump into the 3FN Movie Club Review? Absolutely. Welcome to 3FN Movie Club. Refreshments are available in the lobby. And please... Keep our theater clean by disposing of trash in specified containers. And remember, gift certificates are available for any special occasion. Enjoy the show. All right, we are here. For this week's 3FN Movie Club Review, and as I said in the open, we are celebrating the 25th anniversary of The Big Lebowski. Diesel, are you ready to talk about The Dude? Absolutely. This, woof. The dude abides. All right. Well, The Big Lebowski was released on March 6th of 1998 with a runtime of 117 minutes. Uh, The movie had a budget of $15 million, and in the box office, it made $46. 
1.7 million when then would go on to be a cult classic on top of that so yep. success in the box office because it made over three times its money yep. back and on top of that cult classic status so i can only imagine what the dvd sales are yeah. blu-ray sales streaming sales whatever on the big lebowski uh now let's uh, hop right on over and find out what the uh synopsis is from imdb man i got a story to tell that's right and i do have a few different ones because an older film always has a few so let's start off with the imdb one and remember this is the generated one from all the reviews ready diesel ultimate L.A. slacker Jeff the Dude Lebowski, mistaken for a millionaire of the same name, seeks restitution for a rug ruined by debt collectors, enlisting his bowling buddies for help while trying to find the millionaire's missing wife. Yep. Pretty spot on. (laughs) Uh, Let's read one other one. Instead of reading three, because these are kind of winded. So let's do this one. When the Dude Lebowski is mistaken for a millionaire Lebowski, two thugs urinate on his rug to coerce him into paying a debt he knows nothing about. While attempting to gain recompensation is what they meant, but they said it wrong, for the ruined rug from his wealthy counterpart, he accepts a one-time job with high payoff. He enlists the help of his bowling buddy, Walter, a gun-toting Jewish convert with anger issues. Deception leads to more trouble, and it soon seems as everyone from porn empire tycoons to nihilists wants something from the dude. Yep. Once again, they're both very good, but that's also because the gener- the generating on that was pretty, pretty awesome. So let's jump right on over and uh, find out who made this movie. Who made this movie? That's right. Let's start with the directors. Of course, it is the legendary duo of the Cohen brothers, Joel and Ethan Cohen. And uh, unless because there's so many people involved in this movie, we're not going to give a full breakdown like we have before. But that's also because let's be honest they've done a ton of work so let's let's be let's we're going to stick to what we know what we love what we go with the coen brothers have come together on some of possibly some of the greatest movies ever made no country for old men of course the big lebowski uh i i always say it wrong but paris jetame uh, if you're into that artsy shit like Diesel is, uh, oh brother, where art thou? Uh, you want to add any of them in, <laughs> dude? Like so, th- these are one of my favorite director director duos. Um, the Coen Brothers movies, I absolutely love. Miller's Crossing, Blood Money, Barton Fink. You got uh, the Big Lebowski. Oh brother, where art thou? No Country for Old Men. Like they have done some of my favorite movies of all time. They've had a few misses, like Lady Killers and the like, like that, but. Overall, these guys have made tremendous cinema. Yes, and uh, also they are the writers on this film as well, which I do want to point out, they do write for movies they don't direct, and they also write for movies they do direct. Uh, Speaking of movies uh, with both, because we're going to mix them in there, but they've written uh, such legendary movies as their own movie, uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Of course, uh, The Lady Killers is a movie that they wrote, No Country for Old Men they wrote, Uh, Burn After Reading, which is another one of their films that they did direct that they actually wrote as well. Uh, True Grit is a movie that they wrote, Gambit. Oh, yeah. Uh, Hail Caesar, which they did write and direct as well. So, I mean, there's a mixture. I'm not, like I said, if I if we literally discussed all of the Coen's uh, movies that they wrote, directed, produced, whatever, we would literally be here for the entirety of this podcast and not get anything done. We could completely format change and probably get 
15 episodes of just doing Coen Brothers movies, without a doubt. Oh, absolutely. Freaking literally. <laughs> so we like to give out the cinematographer because, you know, we're, we're fans of like giving got people who don't normally get uh, a shout out, a shout out. And the cinematographers, I think, have one of the most important jobs on a movie set and they don't get a shout out. But we give them here. And uh, the cinematography for this movie is a legend. Roger Deakins mm-hmm. is the cinematography. His first movie was a move that he was the director of photography on. Welcome to Britain in 1976, dude. This guy has written a ton of movies. Uh, we're just going to give a quick uh, roundabout to some of the ones that you guys know. They were gigantic hits and such. Uh, most recently, he's done movies like Blade Runner 2049, uh, Skyfall 1917, which is an amazingly shot movie. If you've never seen it, it's it, it's shot from the perspective of one of the people in the movie. It's fucking amazing. Yeah. Uh, Sicario, which I, I love. Did you ever see Sicario? Yeah, yeah Sicario was great. Uh, he's he's worked with the Coens multiple times. He, was, he worked with them on Hail Caesar, uh, True Grit. I mean, this guy, when I talk about it, dude, No Country for Old Men. The original Blade Runner. Like, he's done. Dude, The Village. <laughs> yes. Yeah. M. Night Shyamalan. But also Jarhead. You he's, know, he's done everything. He's probably up there, like, commonly known as probably one of the top three DPs of all time. One of my favorite movies of all time, The Hurricane. Oh, he, he did yeah, that as nice. well. I mean, dude, Fargo. <laughs> Like Fargo, another Coen Brothers movie. Another one that you that you would love, (laughs) the Hudsucker Proxy. Yep, remember that movie? He did that. He did Thunderheart, which is probably his most underrated movie. His 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 movies definitely always have that little gritty feel to it, and it's very intentional and very Roger Deakin esque. He's one of the greatest of all time, dude. He has a style, and his style is fucking winning. So Roger Deakin's man, legend. I would say I'm agreeing with you. He's definitely without giving out. Too many names. Top three yeah. directors of photography of all time. Yeah. Easy. Fucking easy. Uh, so shout outs to him. Legend. Now let's talk about who starred in this film. For the love of God, will someone please punch me in the face so I can see some scars? And I got to be honest. This is one of those movies where Cloris Leachman didn't have to get punched in the face. Yeah. This, these stars are stars. Abound. <laughs> stars abound. So playing the dude. Is the legendary, and I think I, I think he's defined as the legendary Jeff Bridges. Oh yeah, uh, dude, Jeff Bridges has been a ton. Of course, Starman back in 1984. He was in True Grit. Speaking of another movie with the Coens, uh, dude, this guy has been Kingsman. <laughs> like I'm just going through like literally R.I.P.D., which wasn't a great movie, but you know, if Ron was here, I would have mentioned it only because of Ryan Reynolds. So shout out to Ron wherever you are, Tron Legacy. Dude, what did you want to give a shout out to this man? One of the movies that creeped me out the most as like a teenager, The Vanishing. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yep. K-Pax with our good friend Kevin Spacey. Yep. <laughs> I only say good friend because I don't want to be on the other list, folks. Don't don't think that I uh, agree with the man. I just Oh, he was great in K-Pax too though. Like, such a great yeah. such a great role. Bridges Bridges always gives it like this beautiful performance to where he like he enthralls you into his role. The Fisher King Great mm. movies, man. Dude, Jeff Bridges has been in a ton of movies. Like I said, normally we'd go through, but there's so many people in this movie, we have to give them their due. Uh, playing Walter in this movie is the legendary, once again, you're going to hear used to hear that, John Goodman. And we've said it before, we'll say it again, there is no such thing as a bad performance from John Goodman. Yeah. He's been in bad movies. He has never, ever 
turned in a bad performance. That is my opinion, and I'm sticking to it. Uh, let's talk about what this man has been. And of course, if you know sitcoms, you remember this man from being Dan on Roseanne and later on The Connors. So he's he's been in the he's he's a TV dad. Yep. I mean, that, above all, he's on that iconic list of TV dads. <laughs> yes, he is. But let's be honest. We've seen him in uh, another Coen Brothers feature, Barton Fink, back in 1991. He was in uh, Argo, which is a tremendous movie. Flight. 10 Cloverfield Lane. Uh, Jesus, The Babe. We talked about that before. Even though it's not a great movie, he's great in that movie. Uh, Jesus, what else do you want to go with? Oh, brother, where art thou? He was... Kong Skull Island. A movie that messed with me as a kid again. Fallen with Denzel Washington. Oh, yeah. Fallen. Dude, there's so many. We could sit here and list his movies for days. We've listed the praises of John Goodman many times over the years doing this podcast. We... It is clearly known that we love ourselves some john goodman i uh, dude i can't uh, uh, there's literally nothing that i can say more than john goodman's a man uh let's talk about another legendary actress who plays in this movie and of course that is julianne moore playing maude lebowski not because she's married to the dude <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> uh of course one of the many entertaining sites of course you know julianne moore from boogie nights yep. <laughs> magnolia uh you know, far from heaven. Recently, she did a movie called Sharper. Uh, damn, she's still getting shit done, dude. Yeah. Ho- like, Hollywood royalty. Yeah, Kingsman. She's shown up time and time again. Julianne Moore. Once again, if we're doing a deep dive, it would take me hours. Yeah. And think about all these stars I'm naming. That's why we're kind of going through the quick version, folks, because holy shit. Uh, next up is a man who needs no introduction, and he's a legend playing. Uh, Theodore Donald, or Donnie, Steve Buscemi, and I know, I know for a serious fact that Diesel is a huge Steve Buscemi fan. Of course, Steve Buscemi, you remember him from Armageddon, Fargo, Reservoir Dogs, uh, Ghost World. Uh, Most recently, because I can look up his most recently, he did uh, Miracle Workers End Times for TBS as a TV show. The last movie he did was The Year Between in uh, 2022. Uh, He's a... gone on to be a writer and a director and a producer. I mean, famously he was on The Sopranos, but he directed episodes and wrote episodes of The Sopranos. Boardwalk Uh, Empire. Boardwalk Empire did the same, starred, wrote, directed some episodes. Uh, Dude, he's done it all. Yeah, I love Steve Buscemi. And again, in the Coen Brother universe, uh, Miller's Crossing, like he's he gets used over and over in Coen Brothers movies for a great reason. They are, they find actors that they work well with, and Steve Buscemi is masterclass actor who does not get enough respect. You know what? Playing the big Lebowski himself would be the legendary late, great David Huddleston. Uh, David Huddleston is an older actor. Uh, he got his breaks in the 1960s, so he's been along for a long time. Uh, for those younger listeners and those a little in our age, you're probably going to most remember him from Blazing Saddles, yep. where he played Olsen Johnson in 1974, but also uh, more recently, the 2005 The Producers, the that rendition yep. with Nathan Lang and... Uh, well, I'm drawing a fucking blank for yeah. some reason, but you know what I'm talking about. You guys, everybody at home is going to be yelling about who starred in that movie. Matthew Broderick. There we go. It came back to me, folks. Sorry. Uh, brain farts. But he's been in a ton of stuff. Of course, unfortunately, he died at the age of 85 on August 2nd of 2016. You want to talk about David Huddleston? Yeah. He, he Again, used in a lot of Coen Brothers movies. Um, probably his biggest role outside of this in those is he was the governor in uh, No Country. Or not No Country. Uh, oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? Like... 
this is one of the guys where younger people, if you've seen a lot of movies, you're like, I've seen this guy in other things. He is like the epitome of that. You're just like, oh yeah, I've seen this guy. He's great. He plays an asshole really well. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, next up is another late, great, iconic actor playing Brant Philip Seymour Hoffman. Of course, unfortunately, we lost Seymour Philip Seymour way too early at the age of 46 on February 2nd of 2014. But let's be honest, I can't give all of his off. Uh, one of his last movies he did was The Master, tremendous movie, Capote, uh, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, Almost Famous, Boogie Nights. Uh, he was in the Hunger Game movies shortly before he died as well. Uh, Moneyball. Uh, the list goes on. Go ahead. Go along came Polly. I could sit here and talk for days, and I know you can too oh, yeah. as for Phil Schumer. He was the extreme guy in Twister. Yeah. Come on. Philip Seymour Hoffman, gone too soon. One of the greatest actors of our time. 63 movies, by the way, on his actor's credit. But I will say this. Every one of them, you can know. So it's like, it's a weird thing. If I was going to break it down like we normally would for a star, I literally, for Philip Seymour Hoffman, if I was writing all of them that people knew... It would take us the entirety of a podcast yeah. to list them off because even though it's sixty three titles, it was pretty much sixty three bangers. Yeah, and again with like John Goodman, we have gushed time and time again over Philip Seymour Hoffman. We love us some Philip Seymour Hoffman. Absolutely. Let's talk about playing Bunny Lebowski, Tara Reid. By the way, I want to point this out. I forgot how hot Tara Reid oh once was. God, yeah. Like watching this movie, this is when Tara Reid was fucking hot. Yeah. I'm not saying anything about her now, but plastic surgery has not been kind. Let's that be honest. First look at her at the pool. Oh my God. Of course, you would also know her from American Pie. Actually, the American Pie original trilogy, I should say, because she was all three of the trilogy. Uh, Urban Legend, Alone in the Dark, which I only bring up because that is uh, one of our good friend Ron's favorite movies. <laughs> uh, she most recently uh, was in a movie called uh, Big Money and also in a movie called Bleach in 2022. And she's on the CBS hit series Ghosts currently. Yep. So uh, once again, regardless of how you feel about the plastic surgery, let's be honest, it's Tara Reid. Yeah, it's Tara Reid. She's the Sharknado of this movie. <laughs> I, I'm going to say this, though. When I was watching this, it's been a while since I've watched a movie with Tara Reid. And I haven't watched the I, I like the American Pie movies. I haven't watched them in a long time. This reminded me why myself and, and people our age were fucking hot for Tara Reid. Because yeah. you, you, you see her and you're just like, man, she was fucking hot. Yeah, yeah. Man. <laughs> and I'm not talking about age. The, the problem is, and hey, listen, I'm not here to shame anybody, but... Whew. She, she's got to lay off that plastic surgery. <laughs> Just gonna throw it out there. If you get, if you're offended by that, I apologize. But uh, yeah, no. Uh, so uh, I'm not gonna give a shout out to everybody because we can't. But we, let's give some shout outs. Uh, first of all, to to listed as nihilist number two, our good boy Flea from <laughs> Red Hot Chili Peppers. Uh, Back to the Future's on that list, dude. Fucking uh, Babylon this past year that we went to see. Baby Driver, Fear and Loathing. Yeah, Flea shows up in some pretty awesome movies. I do want to do the one that he did with uh, uh, Charlie Sheen, The Chase. Oh, yeah. Remember yep. that? I want to eventually review that. I know it's not a great movie, but it'd be fun to review. And, of course, Christy Swanson's in that mm -hmm. movie. Uh, fuck yeah, bro. Fuck yeah. Let's get into one of the bigger people, though, uh, that's further down on the list for some reason, and that would be John Turturro playing Jesus Quintana or Jesus. Either Jesus. way, however you want to say it. Uh, I prefer to say I, I prefer to say Jesus, but let's be honest. He only says that because... He wants to be Jesus. Yeah. He thinks he is Jesus. But remember, he was in Quiz Show back in 94. He's been in a ton of Coen Brothers shit. Oh, brother, where art thou? Barton Fink. Uh, dude, he's gotten movies for days. Of course, he was in uh, one of our uh, certified nerd movies from last year, The Batman. Yep. So, I mean, John Turturro, I think he's one of my favorite actors out there. 
Uh, speak on John Turturro. Yeah, John Turturro is great. You've seen him in everything. He shows up in a lot of movies, a lot of iconic movies. Um, one of my favorite roles was him as Kinesh in uh, Rounders. Um, but yeah, Turturro has done great. And the, this movie has also spawned off the, which I don't think we ever got a chance to see because it never got a wide release, but they did a Jesus spinoff movie off of this movie. Yes, they did. They did. And then yeah. maybe we should try. Yeah. We should check it out for sure. Uh, the last person I'm going to mention, because we could sit here for fucking ever, but I, if he's on a cast, I have to mention this man. And definitely he plays a pivotal role. They just call him the stranger, but he's also the narrator <laughs> yeah. of this film. And of course that is the, incomparable legendary Sam fucking Elliot. Yeah. I feel like he's at the level where we have to put the fucking in there. Yeah. Sam fucking Elliot. Uh, you know him from the remake of A Star is Born. Of course, if you're a real fan, you're a real one. You know him from the original Roadhouse. Yep. <laughs> uh, which, of course, they're, they're, I have to say original because the remake is being shot now. Uh, dude, that remake, although I'm, I'm a fan of Jake Gyllenhaal, it's got a lot to live up to because let's be honest, Sam Elliot and, and Roadhouse. Patrick Swayze, come oh. on, man, iconic. I, I definitely need to get that into the uh, into the board, the Roadhouse. Out yeah. for when we're plugging that. But anyways, he's been a dude. He's not afraid to do different things. We've heard his voice on Robot Chicken over the course of the entire yep. Robot Chicken. He pops in as different voices of things. He's on Family Guy as quite a different voices on there. I mean, recently he's been on the 1883 show, uh, which is amazing. I mean, the guy has done everything. Yeah. MacGruber, fucking MacGruber. Yeah. Movies aside, like. He, they did the uh, Netflix show The Ranch, where he was a pivotal character. Um, also, for a little while, when it was still on, he had a recurring part on Parks and Recreation. Like this guy has done a lot of things across a wide variety of genres. You would think with a voice and a look like his, he would be typecast in western roles. He has done everything yeah like i said he's not afraid to take a chance he's not afraid to do comedy he's not afraid to do voice work he's not afraid to do a different character i think i honestly i'm a huge sam elliott fan that's why i was never going to ignore the fact that sam elliott is in this film and he's tremendous in this yeah. film i think it's weird he is listed way down on imdb but they just list him as the stranger they don't ever list him as the narrator but he's the narrator yeah. for the film as well <laughs> and, and like i said it so it's iconic when you're watching lebowski the one thing is that you notice their narrator because that voice is so distinct. Sam Elliott has that slow delivery, but it's got that gruffy manliness, but he tells the story so well. Much like Morgan Freeman is the voice of God, Sam Elliott, I, if I wrote a book and I had to have a voice actor read my book, it would be Sam yeah. Elliott. Yeah. Uh, Sam, I just, I'm just a huge fan, I'm a, as you can tell. So listen, we could go on and on. There's more people, but that's why we didn't do the entire breakdowns because there's so many fucking people in this movie. Coen Brothers really putting shit together. So... Let's let's go in and we're gonna do this review a little differently. I know I'm gonna I'm gonna get to Diesel because I know he's got a lot that he wants to talk about. So I'm gonna kick it over to him so it gives me also a breakdown in my voice. <laughs> but the way we're gonna just kind of do it is we're kind of gonna talk about some likes and stuff. Diesel's gonna lead a, a, the discussion a little more. However, this movie is an interesting movie in in film history. And the reason why is we've had movies that were about nothing before, <laughs> or seemingly about nothing. This is one of those movies that not only did it it, is it about, you know, and I'm using the word nothing, we'll get to it, but it's really a movie that shouldn't succeed on any level. And there's other movies, even from the Coens, you know, Burn After Reading comes to mind, that are kind of in the vein of The Big Lebowski and it didn't do as well. Because when you're watching a movie that's as disjointed as The Big Lebowski and is really, at the end of the day, about nothing, you end up literally losing the audience. But somehow, 
when I said that this movie is a phenomenon, it's because this movie is widely loved and widely praised because of just that, which is kind of a strange thing. And the dude has even got his own religions. There's philosophy books written about the dude. Yeah, the Tao of the dude. Mind you, it's a fictional character. And he is he has got his own writings. Like, he is like a, a messiah type, and that's pretty fucking awesome in its own. So, to get it out of the way, there is no way in hell you do this scene by scene, because it doesn't make sense. It's never meant to make sense. It's, you know, there's there's very few movies, like I said, we, we've talked about in the past, like Donnie Darko, and not the fucking shitty director's cut either. But Donnie Darko, you know, famously Kevin Smith said, he really feels like he uh, he just picked up the movie, cut it up, threw it in the air, and pieced it back together yeah. however it landed. And that's kind of how disjointed these movies are. But only like certain movies get that success. Darko was one of them that got that success. Big Lebowski. So it is a phenomenon because most of these movies fail epically. Yes. Um, so, yeah, if you try to break it down, it is a movie about nothing, yet it is filmed in a a film noir mystery type. Not a murder mystery, but just a, an old school mystery movie where case of mistaken identity the rug really tied the room together and the guys pissed on it so by the way i love how the collectors pissed on the rug yeah <laughs> yeah the thugs they they break into the wrong house based off of you know a unique last name your wife's own money all over town they piss on his rug after they put his head in the toilet not cool dude piss on his rug what you're not house trained and he realizes through the help of his friend Walter that no, they were looking for this all other Jeff Lebowski. So his money's going around, owing owing money all over town. You should uh, go get it back from him. So cutting you off here, the the best part about it is the movie is actually named after the other character. Yeah, the big because Lebowski. the big Lebowski is the other Jeff Lebowski, the rich Jeff Lebowski. It's not the dude. Yeah, the dude's Jeff Lebowski is this very zen like being. Yeah. So that's why that opening scene to me is hilarious. Because well, I shouldn't say opening, but the beginning of the movie is hilarious because he's getting his face dunked in the toilet. They're pissing on his rug, and he's just like, "That's not cool, man." Yeah, like he doesn't get angry. He's just like physically like, "Come on, man." <laughs> <laughs> yep. So he, he he meets him, meets Brant, finds out that yep, his wife owes money all over town, but the Big Lebowski is not gonna pay. Fuck you, you know? And then, you know, you find out the Big Lebowski is also in a wheelchair, so he just sees himself out, talks to Brant, he's like, Yeah, yeah, he said I could take any any rug in the house. Takes the rug. You know? Everything gets caught up with him and Brant calls him later on. He's like, it's not about the rug. You can keep the rug. We don't care about the rug. Mr. Lebowski's wife is missing. So now we need you to help us out and do the ransom drop for us. You know, we don't want to get the cops involved and we're just going to easy money drop. You can do it, dude. Money drop goes awry and all this weird stuff just starts building out. So this is just the basic premise of the movie. And again, it's just this filmed in this weird film noir way, but in current day '90s, like this is iconic '90s, and everything just goes wrong. You know, money is not there. We get nihilists. There's a marmot in a tub. Oh Jesus! Yeah. So we get introduced to the nihilist, which includes our our fan favorite flea oh yeah so like you end up with like this whole side stories i mean 
the, the, the basic movie outline when you're talking about the movie is what you said. Basically, he feels wrong. He goes to rectify that. It gets rectified in a way, but then he gets called back to do basically go find my wife, make the ransom drop, get my wife back for me, blah, blah, blah. And then he enlists, of course, Walter, who is one, of, you could say his best friend, if yeah, you will. Best friend, yeah. And Walter's a little angry, a little off. And then through that, we meet like Donnie. And that's because the other subplot is this is a there's a bowling tournament being planned yep. and set up through weekly events. There's bowling going on. None of this movie should make sense for being beloved because really this is the Seinfeld of movies. It's a movie where nothing happens yet. Everything is happening in this weird detective like state. It, it's an anomaly. But yeah. So and then finally, like when the one time where the dude does something intelligent we get taken all over the place, you know? So yeah, let me go back. Money drop goes wrong. They realize, Hey, the money has been stolen. Wrong person. Case of mistaken identities again. And this leads to one of my absolute favorite TV edits. They, they go to a producer's son who they think took the money, has a brand new Porsche out front and Walter's anger gets the best of them goes outside starts smashing the shit out of this car and yells out this is what happens when you fuck a stranger in the ass tv edit probably the greatest of all time this is what happens when you meet a stranger in the alps <laughs> i don't know if you ever seen the tv yes. edit, but oh my god so none of this works um we meet maud um her and the dude have a fling you find out she's estranged from her father this is just bizarre um her character is an artist she does very vaginal paintings that makes men uncomfortable are you uncomfortable with the term labia oh geez <laughs> we're just gonna break down to some of my favorite scenes right now so some of my favorite scenes were the bowling alley scenes where you know walter dude and are talking about the whole situation donnie is up to bowl comes back and just tries to insert himself into the conversation to where Walter's anger comes out. You don't know what you're talking about, Donnie. Stay out. You're like a petulant little child who wanders in and wants to know what's going on. A lot of these cool scenes where you see these three friends and you see the three different dynamics. You see Donnie, who was just doing what he was supposed to do, going up there and bowl. Walter, who's just angry at the world. And the dude is just like, that, that rug just tied the room together. Uh, also, later on in the movie... I love when the Niles come in with the, the ferret, which the dude refers to as a marmot. It just, and it attacks him in the tub, and it's just odd. And then later on, when we get into when he's trying to solve this mystery of the missing bunny who's not actually missing, when he's at the porn, uh, pornographer's house party, and he sees him go and take a phone call. The one time in this investigation where he does something intelligent, he sees him writing on a notepad while he's on the phone leaves a phone call walks into the room grabs a pencil grabs a pad does the little rub over to see what he wrote down the dude was only scribbling a very large penis on the piece of paper for whatever reason that moment always sticks out for me because it's the one time in this movie where the dude is like all right we're in the middle of this weird investigation which i'm outside of my league on i have a good idea I finally do this good idea, and it's for a dick, for nothing. It moves my information no part far, farther. 
That's one of my favorite things in this movie. Yeah, it's the, a true nihilist moment. The absurdities of this movie yeah. are crazy. And I, I think that's what it all goes back to. This movie has a ton of absurdities. Yeah. You want a toe, I can get you a toe. Give me 15 minutes, I can get you a toe. Even with that bright little uh, nail polish. Yeah. It's just like this stupid thing where a guy's rug gets peed on. Just the story keeps building on itself with more and more absurd plot points where it just by the end of the movie you're just like how the fuck did we get here of course it also has one of the greatest endings of all time because of that yeah i mean no other movie in the history of of man i mean there is a little exposition dump by sam elliott however no other like movie is like uh, the dude abides yep the dude abides the, yep. you know you're ready for something profound you're ready to tie up this movie ends and you there's nothing there's no conclusion for most of the stories <laughs> all these side quests and side stories you go on you never get a conclusion yep. for you never find a you know the the tournament never happens the tournament never happens bunny was never kidnapped she's just on a drive out to vegas i believe it was the one nihilist girl it was her toe that's your only conclusion on that was it wasn't bunny's toe right that was it yeah like I said, there's a lot of like things left unanswered and like smaller things. Like what happens to characters? What happens to this person? Like there's just like a ton of like things in most m- movies, it would drive somebody nuts and it would ruin the movie, but for some reason, once again, phenomenon of this movie is yeah. that people actually were like this is amazing yeah. for the most part. Yeah. With the cast that they had, even though like a lot of the ones that we 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 gush on now, it was early on in the career. It was a all-star cast in this cast carries this movie which wasn't even meant to tell a good story that's the whole point of this movie it was not to tell a good story it was to tell an attitude essentially the dude uh, how he abides <laughs> yeah and it comes down to like some fun facts about this movie that i that i looked up because there's certain things that i wanted to know and one of them is that i found out that the coen brothers are very fickle about their scripts uh mm-hmm. they want you to stick to what's on the page yeah uh, there's not a lot of improvision there's only one improvision uh as stated by john goodman in the whole movie and that is when uh, the dude refers to the big lebowski as a human paraquat that's that's the only <laughs> that is the only improvision. That means that every man and dude in the in the in, that was said was in the script. Which, by the way, if you really want to know, uh, the dude says "man" 147 times in the movie. Yep. Yeah. Uh, my other one that was I thought was really famous is before they would film a scene, Jeff Bridges would ask the Coen brothers, uh, "Did the dude burn one on the way over?" And if they said yes, he would rub his eyes with his knuckles to give the illusion that he was high. <laughs> I thought that that was just intriguing. And it's just like, because I, I, I can see Jeff Bridges like fucking with his eyes just to see. As laid back as the dude is throughout this movie, the fact that knowing that now and that every man and every, oh yeah, like every relaxed, subtle subtext of how he speaks was written is that much more amazing. Yeah. Uh, another one that I really thought was funny here is that uh, with the exception of the dude helping Maud bowl in a fantasy, the dude has never seen bowling. Yep. Not once does yep. he bowl. Although he's supposed to be a great bowler. Yep. But not once does he bowl. You only see it in a fantasy scene. And uh, I do also want to point out that uh, what we didn't get to find out is the dude doesn't do anything. No. The dude has nothing. And it's never explained how he makes money. It's never explained what he does. However, I would there is this out there. In an early draft of the script, the dude's source of income was revealed. He was an heir to the inventor of the Rubik's Cube, which would have also made him Hungarian in turn. It was Joel Cohen's idea to drop this and never say. Which I think is a wise idea. I think it is, because yeah. it leaves you with more open questions. Because the dude has actually, I wouldn't say he's living a lavish life, but the dude is not like 
broke and the dude is doing things throughout the movie he has money he's able to afford the things that the dude likes he is if able to afford a, a hobby bowling which has fees and all that attached to it he has a car so he can afford gas and i'm assuming the assurance and all that stuff and he enjoys his beverages and his uh, at the time illegal marijuana yeah so he had, he had money for all of that uh, just a couple more that I found that when I was looking up things about the movie. It was really kind of funny. Was that uh, this is just going to when being interviewed, but for Inside the Actor Studio, Jeff Bridges met with the Cohen brothers after reading the script and asked them, Did you guys hang out with me in high school? Referring to the dude's easygoing surfer persona. So Jeff Bridges, it came naturally to him. And also, John Goodman has been on the record multiple times as saying this is his favorite movie he ever was a part of. Really? Yes. So, John Goodman thinks that this is the yeah. best movie he's ever done. Well, part of. And I don't think that it's the best movie he's ever done. I don't think he's saying that. He's just saying it's his favorite movie. He probably had the most fun shooting this. Huh. But this movie is it, its all over the place. It's crazy and it's cool. And at the end of the day, you know, like you said, it's about nothing but about everything all at yeah. once. It, it, it's one of those weird times where it works. Again, it is a Seinfeld episode where everything is happening, but... Nothing gets resolved, and it's really about nothing. <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of crazy. So I have a theory. Okay. So there's a lot of theories out there. I've heard that this movie is about uh, uh, self-chastising men uh, or c- castrating them even, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of an interesting uh, thing because the, there, the, a lot of the evidence is because, you know, Walter, the whole movie is angry and acts out, but yet bows to his, his wife. Yep. So it's kind of an interesting, like, and I'm like, I don't know. I think people are reading too far. Here's what I think, and, and, and I would like to hear your philosophy, but here's what I think this movie is at the end of the day. A, yes, it's disjointed. I don't think it really is about anything, but I think where they, it came from is, got to remember, the Coens are from the baby boomer generation. Uh, most of the people in this movie are either towards the end of the baby boomer generation. Most of the people in this movie are either towards the end of the boomer generation into Gen X. There's a thing that they have in common between the end of the boomers, Generation X, and then where we are as old elder millennials. And there's a there's a section of that, and I've talked about this before because it's in the our music and it's in our actions, is this, I've always dubbed as the lost generations in there. And the reason why is because none of us did what was normal. So starting at the end of the boomers, like the late boomers, all through Gen X in the elder millennials, we tended to get married later in life. We tended to start families later. We tended to uh, listen to angry music. You know, that's where grunge comes from. That's where, you know, later on, new metal, so on and so forth comes from. I always famously say about Rage Against the Machine, even like the excess of the 80s, that could be blamed, you know, on the elder boomer, you know, elder generation of like the younger generation of boomers, technically. I got it backwards there. But anyways, it's all a generation of life is just what you make of it. Mm -hmm. So the dude is a product of that. The dude is a product of, hey. I'm not living life conventionally because I don't want to live life conventionally. If I want to just hang out in my fucking what appears to be most people's pajamas all day, that's what I'm going to do. If I, you know, I'm not going to get mad about big things. Sometimes I will, but I'm mostly not because who cares? It's the way of the world. You know, I don't need children, although I will give my seed to somebody so they can have a child. Like he doesn't have like a care in the world. And I think that that's a generational thing. I think the Coens are writing from that generation of going, 
oh, you know, this is a character that represents most of us that didn't get married but followed their dreams. You know, the Coens are living a dream life at this point in Juncture. They've written successful movies already. They've directed successful movies and they would have even more success. So they're kind of going, and even if they did it, they were big indie darlings that were making a living. Maybe not the greatest living at that time because, of course, some of their bigger hits would come after that made them financially stable. (laughs) I mean, this movie probably did as well. However, they're going, hey, this is kind of our life. We live this dream life. And yes, we work because we're writing and making movies. However, this is kind of all of our things. We're going to go in and let life be what it may. Whether we were working a nine to five job and then afterwards just going to wrestling shows and stuff like we did, whether you're movies and stuff, or you know you are working a dream job or you're sacrificing uh, a part of your life and living comfortably for you and not you know lavishly i think that that was all like a generational thing that was a big it was really prevalent towards the 90s like in the 80s was the era of excess but starting in 9091 after that age crashed we got more of this age of just kind of like hey i'd rather like i would i kind of call it zen in a way yeah. let the world deal me the hand it's going to deal i'm going to live my life to the best of my abilities and i don't care if it is what people think it should be and i think that that's why this movie resonates because the generation of people our generation of people and the generation behind us that like that whole window the dude is us <laughs> and, and i'm not saying that we don't work hard or anything it has nothing to do with it just the dude is come what may and that, I think that's really what it is. I don't know. I'd like to yeah. take on that or others. I agree with that, and I'll kind of like piggyback on that. Like the dude is us. The dude though is also like counterculture. Like everything else, everybody else represents an ism. You know, modest feminism. Um, everybody, the nihilists are nihilism, which which, which is an interesting one, anyways. Bullshit. Uh, you know, Walter is order. Like he's you know wants order and like things to play by the rules, but he is just. I, I'm going to live my best life and I'm not going to relegate myself to just be that he, he is counterculture. Like the one time he listens to music and he's, you know, smoking a joint in the car, he's listening to a CCR, which, you know, at the time, well, not at that time, but at the time the music was coming out was counterculture. It was, you know, the only thing that was, you know, preaching against the Vietnam war and the draft and stuff like that. Like they were the counterculture. He is a counterculture in the sense that he is not going to try to put himself in a box. He doesn't care about the box. He just wants to go about enjoying life. And by doing so, he doesn't want to do it by stepping on others to push himself ahead. He just wants to maintain. He doesn't want to put people down to raise himself up. He just wants to do his thing and be nice to people. The Being nice is the key part of that, though. Agreed. And I'm not saying everybody shared those views, in our, but our generation understands those yeah. views. And that's why I'm saying the people, and I shouldn't say just our generation, because obviously later on, but like that piece of the later, so we're talking late 60s into probably 85, 86 yeah. era of, of, of people that were born, that was kind of a lifestyle choice. And like, yeah, some of us did different things, and it's not everybody, but we understood what that is. Yeah. Yeah, and like the entire time of the movie, like you never see him once get upset until they are releasing Donnie's ashes and Walter drops it into the wind right into the dude's face. And for a split second, you see the dude get angry, but then just be like, you're an asshole, Walter. All right, let's let's go. And just, that was it. He just like got that part up because he, you know, he had his friend Walter as his vent for anger and all that jazz. But he just lived that life of, I'm going to do what I want to do. And I respect that. Like I said, I think that's why it resonates yeah. overall. Because yeah. as a movie, critically, 
Like you could see where people would be like, well, you know, there's smash cuts in this movie that jumps all over the place. There's no rhyme or reason. Like so there's so a I fantasy see, scene of him and Maude and the one, one time you see him bowling. That whole scene is just bizarre, but it's beautifully shot. And well, well yeah, it's great. Like, I mean, the cinematography is great, but like their choices were obviously yeah. based on the story and to keep you off kilter and to keep you in an S. And so I get why certain critics didn't like this movie. Like when Siskel and Ebert, you know, did this movie, yeah. they had a field day just ripping this movie apart and then couldn't understand why it was a success. Yeah. And that is why, though, because it was not about the actual film. It was not about, uh, you know, beginning, middle and end of a story. It was literally about the dude yeah and the people around him like you said represent other things and he represents you know just floating through life man floating through life taking it easy and we could all live by those lessons quite honestly and some of us have succeeded and i know i've fallen short many a times sure as you have (laughs) as well but as you said at the end of the day being nice is one of those that i try to take with that is i try to be nice to everybody unless you know it gets to a point but you know what i mean and i I think that that's really what this movie really enables so the feeling of this movie is way stronger than anything it was ever going to yeah. be. When, when you look at the, you know, the meaning of the Big Lebowski explained and all that type of stuff, people put a lot of energy into it, and I, the the depth that they go to, I'm just like, that's even too much for me. Like I just, I just want to float through like the dude. Like, mm-hmm. well, that's what I was saying. Like at the end of the day, I'm just like, this is a generation that is part yeah. of a, ge- you know, this is like this time period where we all came in and we were in those of us who were born in that time period we understand this character this is a character that you know we've seen this is the character of of like our idility yeah you know we're i looking at the dude going man i just want to float through life yep and i think that that's what's missed here people are looking at it as, as a bigger thing and that's fine if you want to i just think that at the end of the day it's a story that speaks to multi-generations of people from a time frame where you're like, hey, I just want to float through life. Yeah. And I want to try to be the best person I can while floating through life. Yep. And I don't need to stick to the norms. Like I said, that, that, that renegade culture from like up to like 86 and from the late 60s, if you look at it, the marriages were like, even me, I got married in my 30s. I'm, I'm kind of normal yeah. for some of my age. A lot of my friends have just gotten married. I mean, some of them got married younger, of course. It's not a fucking pain overall. No. But a lot of people we know didn't get married until they were. Now, the generation after us got married, or, you know, the later millennials and the generation after us, a lot of them got married quicker. Yep. So it went back to that pre-baby boomer time. And it was just kind of interesting. Like, that's why I've always said that that little piece, even though it's not a full generation, it's a bigger than a generation, it's kind of the lost yeah. generation because we, lo- we we didn't pay attention to any of the norms. And, you know, it's kind of spit at them a little bit, but to create our own way. And that's the perfect people to write a movie for. And that's why, and that movie, and because there's so many people in those, in that, in that age group or in that bracket, it's why it's successful. Yeah, it's why it resonated so well with the populace. I think if I show a young kid like my kid this movie, he might get some of the funny parts, but I don't know if he'd get the movie. Yeah, that's the thing, too, because, again, this movie's only 25 years old. I'm God, we're fucking old when we're saying it's only 25 oh, years old. But uh, this movie, like, probably up to 10 years ago, like, when you've talked about The Big Lebowski, people, like, everybody knew The Big Lebowski. Now, you know, the younger generation, I think people have stopped, like, watching it like the newer generations and i can't wait for them to find it right i'd be interested though if, to see if they can understand it. yeah and if it there's some other there's some other movies that don't resonate with them that we resonate with us and i i, and I get it because as time goes on things have changed 
also they're coming at things from a different angle yeah. than we ever came at them for. Like I said, it was kind of a weird generation that we lived in when you know both of us were born in eighty three. We I'm already forty. You will be forty. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I love how, yep. So it's like you know, and even those people who are listening are slightly older and slightly younger and like whatever. You guys understand that we came from this generation that we watched a lot of weird fucking shit happen, yeah. and we saw the ride. We saw some of the greatest moments in humanity. I've said that in sports. You know, if you're a sports guy, we've seen that we, we got to see the greatest players of most games yeah. play in our lifetime. We got to see some of the greatest films made in our lifetime, or right before, you know, in our case, right before we were born, some of them. But we got to see some of these great, like, pieces of art. And what they all had in common was people putting out there and taking a chance. And we're now in a generation, and I, and I, and I hate to say this, and I hope the kids change. And, and, there's still people pushing the envelope. They're mostly from our generation, yeah. or that I shouldn't say our. Gen- Once again, guys, when I say our generation, <laughs> I mean that time frame because it's not a legit generation. But there, there's people in our age group. They're still kind of pushing the envelope a little bit. That's why, whether you like him or not, we need people like Kevin Smith because he's carrying that sword because he's just doing what he wants to do, and that is a good thing because that means you can push art, and art should be pushed. And I'm just using him as an example. There's a ton more. The Cohen brothers are obviously on that fucking list. The Wykowskis are on that yeah. list. You know, we need these people pushing the envelope because they pushed the envelope so far Guillermo del Toro on that fucking yeah. list the list could go on and on they are the renegades of the right. movie industry fucking uh, of course Quentin Tarantino who said he's calling it quits but you never know uh, but you know we need those people you know going to the next generation and like the different types of um, media that they use Mr. Beast yeah, I like him. I think he would be considered one of the renegades. Yes, I do, because he has scoffed that fame and fortune, even though he has fame and fortune, yeah. but he has given away a lot of money. He gives away yeah. a lot of stuff. So he, he has scoffed at what yeah. people acquire. In the celebrity world, even though he is a celebrity, he doesn't yeah. view himself as a celebrity. Yeah, I, I think he would be like this generation's Lebowski would be Mr. Beast. I, I agree. I could agree with that. And once again, I hope more kids are taking that from mm-hmm. him. But unfortunately, it's those same kids. And I'm not saying this once again, to destroy, I have a 17 year old. They're also watching other people who are, you know, the Paul brothers yeah. and stuff who are living life in excess. And we know where that leads to because that was the 1980s and the <laughs> boomers living life in excess. And look what it led to. Yeah. And I think that's why our generation remembers the fall. Does that make sense? Yeah. We remember the fall. Just like our generation remembers the recession better. That's, you know, and now that we're possibly headed into another mm. recession, folks, like uh, not to get serious here, but we understand because we've lived through it now. And and it's just kind of this weird thing. It's like now there's a generation, the, the, the last two generation of kids don't remember 9-11 when it happened. Yeah. We remember 9-11. So it's kind of the same thing that the lost generation, when they remembered Pearl Harbor and going to uh, uh, World War II, we're kind of in that boat where we remember the mistakes of the past and we remember these things. And I think that that's where things resonate differently. And I'm not saying they can't come back around. I'm just saying that's where things yeah. resonate differently. And that's why right now, if you think about it musically and in, in movies, and I'm not, like I said, I'm not trying to be on a soapbox about this, we are seeing unoriginal things all over the place. People are just remaking songs, literally just remaking songs and maybe just changing the beat, but word for word or keeping the beat or everything. And the same thing with movies. Yep. How many remakes are coming out a year? How many movies, you know, we're not getting as many original ideas. And then when there is, somebody's shitting on them. Yeah. Like we were just talking about earlier, and I know this is off the air, but just involving you guys before we go forward, like the controversies coming out of The Whale and, and Brendan Fraser winning best, you know, actor and everything. Dude, great movie. Great movie. And as a fat man, I'm not offended. We're fine. Why do we have to make everything about 
uncomfortability yeah. and that's this weird section we're in with the generations that have that and they're it's the younger age of millennials so that's why i usually cut off about yeah. 86 87 because that that younger age because listen the word millennial and i know we get the did the blame for a lot because it's not really us but here's the thing the word millennial was to be people who were coming into the new millennium yeah it was people who were born that were going to see the new millennium in their progressive years there's a big difference between the halfway mark of the millennials. Our era of millennials, we didn't necessarily grow up with the same computers. Yeah. Like, we didn't get the internet <laughs> until later in life. We didn't grow up where the internet was always a thing. The internet didn't come into my life until like 93, 94, and it was dial up and shitty. So, some of the younger millennials, by the time 99, 2000, it wasn't like where we are now, but it was a better version of the internet. Yeah. For me, it was like 97. Right, but like, I'm, I'm just saying yeah. the first time I remember seeing it was like 94, yep. and it was a real shitty version, and I didn't have it. A friend of mine did yep. who had money. And then like later on, I, more people use it. But by the time it came into your life, more is when we were using it. But those kids grew, the kids that were slightly younger, the kids that were born in like 90, that was their first introduction. So they were already skipping over the shittier years. And even though it's not where it is now, AIM was a thing and you could actually Google search things. Like there was things that you could actually do on the internet that you couldn't do when we that, were younger. That we were not even prepared for because our training for computers in school growing up was that stupid little fucking turtle program that could draw lines and you could command it to where to go. What am I going to fucking use that thing in this day and age with computers? Dude, we were using Apple IIs in school. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the stuff that we had to learn had zero bearing on what the computer world became. I mean, the, the people in our age group would go yeah. on to create <laughs> Facebook and Twitter and all. Like, those are the people who created it, but we didn't grow up on it. Yeah. We created the shit. Uh, but the kids that are on the second half, they started growing. They were like 10, 11 years old in the year 2000. So they were like fluent in the internet and we weren't fluent in the internet. Like, like we used it, but we weren't fluent in it. And then what it became, so they had a head start on us. And it's like nowadays and like seeing like your friends, kids or your family members with kids where their young children already fluent on how to use a smartphone. You use a tablet as not like a babysitter, but like they just, a three-year-old should not know how to in-depth go on to stuff on, on a tablet. Yeah, they, they do. do. Right. It's so and weird. Once again, this is not a shot or a flex or any fucking wild thing, because I'm not judging anybody. It's just like you're putting in everybody in a different zone, and the, the people that are slightly older than us had even less than that. You know, you go back to our parents' generation, and they learned fucking computers when they were already uh, over 30. Yeah. You know what I mean? So the whole point of the matter is, is like that's why different things resonate. And I hope and I pray all the time, because there is a, always a rebel movement. And I know it's going to come at some point, but I want to see those original pictures and I want to see that next generation. I want to see that young kid that is inspired by Quentin Tarantino and makes those kind of movies. Yeah. I, you know, Quentin should be able to retire if he wants to and still have somebody who was, you know, influenced by him making those movies. PTH doesn't, shouldn't have to come back and continue to make movies. And I'm not saying that I don't want them to make movies. I'm just saying that those are the guys that were always the rebels who are still being yeah. the fucking rebels. And that's the only reason we have these good titles. And it's hilarious because they still make money on those movies because they're legendary at this point in juncture. I'm just nervous that we're not, and there is some young filmmakers doing their damn thing. Oh yeah. 
You know, the people coming out of the Jordan Peele tree is fucking amazing. So because Jordan Peele, I mean, yes, he's our age, but he's he came into movie making later and he's he's done a great job, not just in the horror realm, but he's also helped people make other films and not just horror movies. And I think that that is a tree that is going to be bearing a lot of great fruit because they're pushing the limits of, of a lot of different things yeah. while also getting a, a message out there as well, which every a lot of the people that we we're talking about made movies with a message. They just had this. It was enclosed inside of this wonderful thing. So there's my love letter to cinema. Like, honestly, if you want to talk about what that is, it wasn't a rant. It was literally a love letter to yeah. cinema. And The Big Lebowski, to me, is one of those movies that it shows the love of cinema to a point where you're like, fuck. Because cinema doesn't necessarily all have to look amazing, although this movie is shot amazingly. But it doesn't always have to be this clean, crisp, no hard cuts, you know, in linear order. Cinema can be just art. Yeah. And that's what this movie is. And it resonates with us because we are from a time where we were part of the rebel art. Yep. We weren't part of the, oh, get in line, whatever that line is. Yep. You know what I mean? We question, you know, as I, like I said, I've famously said, and I've said it on this program, we're that rage against uh, the machine era of fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. I mean, that is most the most encapsulated line I can say about people our age and a little older than us is that that was the line. Yep. We were always questioned everything. That's why there's so many fucking conspiracy theories, folks, by the way. Blame our generation. There was conspiracy theorists before, but <laughs> we took it to the next level because we questioned fucking everything. Now, do I believe them all? No. But once again, we questioned everything. That's why you end up with flat earth, folks, because people started questioning fucking everything. <laughs> you know, and it's it's a good and it's good and bad. It's a beautiful thing and it's a terrible thing, but you know what? It's entertaining all the less. So let's go move on, Diesel, because I think, I think it is time. It's time. It's time to play the game. All right. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> All right. It's time to play the game. Uh, of course, Diesel's going to be playing by himself again. He is the champion. He did win, but he has to defend it now. So Diesel's going to try to come within five points of the above or below of the score to get the point. Gets three points. He retains. If not, he will lose the title back to Ron. You don't want to lose the title back, I don't think so. Oh, steal the title and then vacate the title. That'd be rough. All right. All right, Diesel. And I will give you some clues because I'm hopefully better than last time where I kind of helped you out a little bit too much. <laughs> so let's go. IMDb out of 10 using points. What is the score for The Big Lebowski? 8.0. I didn't even give you a clue for that one, but I'll tell you what. <laughs> you got it. 8.1 out of 10. All right. Metacritic out of 100%. And I can tell you it is lower than if you converted 8.1 over to percent. So 81%. 73%. 73% and 2 for 2. It was 71%. All right. <laughs> The Rotten Tomatoes critic score is up next. What I can tell you is that uh, it isn't. Uh, it's it's somewhere below the eight point one. Could be big, and I will say this also: it is not the lowest score, but it's not the highest score. Seven seventy-five. Seventy-five and you get the get the retention. 79 or 70 yeah 79 percent so just made it just made it literally all right so now we're going for the flawless victory diesel are you ready yep rotten tomatoes score and uh just like before this is one of the highest scores rotten tomatoes score 
88. Sorry, that was fan score, by the way. You said 88? Yep. Diesel, you just made it. 93. <laughs> so two in a row that you on the cusp of losing. And here's for all the marbles. Uh, am I going to get the flawless victory out or no? We're going to find that out right now. Google users out of 100%. And all I can tell you is it isn't the highest score or it's not the lowest score. 90. You're going with 90. 90. Is that your final answer, yeah, I, I should probably go 88 just so, because I know we already had a 93, but we're going with a 90, just an even 90. Is that your final answer, Diesel? Final answer. For the flawless victory. Does he get it, ladies and gentlemen? Flawless victory. You did get it. 86%. Yep. 86%. <laughs> so, Diesel, way to go. Flawless the victory. But now that we have given up all of the numbers from around the internet, it's time for us to give our numbers at the end of the day and you know how we're gonna do it and ironically enough let's go to the dude yeah well you know that's just like uh your opinion man it's wonderful the dude is every week so i should tell us where you're at so we're gonna give you the nerd score and uh, following the nerd score i'm gonna give my critic score of the big lebowski the nerd scale is the nerd score is a recommendation score made up of our critic score and our entertainment score to give us an overall score for a movie so therefore if the movie could actually be critically bad but super entertaining which would raise the score and vice versa and if at the end of the day it's a recommendation for you fine folks who are listening the scale's got five parts the five parts are as follows a one is a no that means it's a terrible film that you should never see a two is You've been warned. That means it's not quite terrible, but it ain't good, so you've been warned not to watch it. A three is, ah, it's good. These are average to good films. These are movies that aren't essential to go see. It's not like you need to spend money on them, but if they're on and you check them out, you're going to be entertained enough that it wasn't a waste of your time. You might not ever watch it again, but you know, at least you're not upset that you saw it. A four is just take my money. These are the very good to great films. These are movies that are essential to see, that you can spend money on, add to your collection, add to a rotation. Uh, they're definitely worthwhile to watch multiple times in your life and you will get entertainment out of them multiple times. And last but not least is the rarefied air, and that is for the legendary movies. That's certified nerd. And of course, these are the best of the best, the creme de la creme. These are movies that you're going to watch over and over again, add to your collection, add to a rotation for sure. These are movies like Jaws, Jurassic Park, etc., etc. So Diesel, with all of that being known, what is your nerd, scare, nerd score and why for The Big Lebowski? With the phenomenal cast that it has and the way they tell a story that shouldn't enthrall you yet enthralls you, it's a five for me. Audience, say it with me. Legendary. Yeah, it's one of those great movies where I just absolutely love everything about it. And it's one of the most quotable movies up there for me that I use constantly. How many times do you just, a random thing gets taken away and you're just like, rug really tied the room together or strong men also cry like it's just such a great movie that's so iconically 90s slacker yeah i i definitely agree with you so i'm gonna just get let the cat out of the bag man just like you i'm giving a certified nerd audience say it with me legendary even though it shouldn't work in essence it does work and it fires on every cylinder there's a lot of good stuff in there quotability is super fucking high it's such a great time man and I, I can't express how much this movie does resonate with me as far as critically goes 
listen, I give it an 8 out of 10. It's, once again, it's not a critically bad movie, but it's also not a critically good movie. Like, this would be on the cusp of normal certified nerd, but you know what? The, it surpasses that in the entertainment and the watchability. You could rewatch this movie over and over and over again and still enjoy it. And that's what it ends up at the end of the day. The 8 is just, like I said, there's a lot of things critically in this movie that, like, my critic eye goes, oh, you know, I don't know if that would be my choice or whatever. But it is what it is. I still think it's good. It's shot very well. You know, I, as we said, Deacons is one of the greatest yeah. fucking cinematographers of all time. I think that this is where this movie's another. You know, even though it's simplistic, it's a movie where it shows the art form. The Coens know how to make a master for war, you know, writing it and directing it and making sure the vision is on screen. So it is great in that aspect. But you know what? Some of the smash cuts are annoying. I, I get but I get why they're there because it's not supposed to be a standard film. So I don't take too much away for it. But eight out of ten with a certified nerd all the way around, baby. Yeah. And this is one of the movies where. Might not watch it every year, but every couple of years, or when you're sick on a Thursday in between rounds of evacuating yourself, you're going to watch this movie and you'll just be like, God, every time I watch this movie, you see something new that you just focus on and love. Yeah, absolutely, man. And uh, that's going to do it. That's going to bring us to an end of celebrating the 25th anniversary of The Big Lebowski. If you've never seen it, go out and watch it. I just definitely highly recommend it from, the both of, uh, from both of us. If you haven't seen it in a while and you're listening to this, see it again, man. 25th anniversary. I do know in April, some theaters through a Fathom event are showing The Big Lebowski. I know me and Diesel are both uh, going to go see this uh, in the theater if it comes near us. So. Yeah. Keep your eyes open to your theaters because throughout the month of April, because there's different dates going on for it, but it's during the month of April, they are showing The Big Lebowski in theaters again because of Fathom. Well, Diesel, that brings us to the end of the show. And of course, next week you will not be nope. here because you're running the show, so you will not be part of next week's 3FN Movie Club review, which is Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, do you have any predictions for Dungeons & Dragons, even though you're not going to see it? So the trailer, the last trailer I saw for it, this actually looks a lot better than I thought. I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. I think I'm going to have a good time. Preemptively, I'm going to guess that you guys are going to rate it a 4 out of 5. Maybe through some surprisingly good stuff, I might be surprised to hear it's a 5. All right. You know what? I'm hoping for the best. Yeah. I'm just going to throw that out there. Of course, uh, we will miss you, but you'll be back the following week. And I do believe that's Super Mario Brothers. Sweet. If I if, if, I, if I have the, uh, the schedule correct. I could be wrong. You know, there is a way for me to double check, but let's be honest. Yeah. That's not my strong suit. But yes, it is a Super Mario Brothers movie. Sweet. So with that... Uh, we're going to miss you. I'm going to say that. But if uh, you would like to find out any information at all about the 3FM Podcast, make sure you swing over to 3FNPodcast.com. All the social media links are there. The Patreon link is there. The T Public link is there. Friends of the show, sponsors, the whole shebang. Anything you want to know about the 3FN Podcast, make sure you check out 3FNPodcast.com. Well, that's going to bring us to the end of the show. We'll be back uh, next week to read myself and Ron Will to review Dungeons and Dragons as that's the honor amongst thieves or that's the tagline for the movie. I did not write that part down. Uh, so we are going to be going uh, to see that and we're going to be reviewing that brand new flick next week for the 3FN Movie Club Review. Until then, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and most importantly, later nerds! This is what happens when you meet a stranger in the Alps. Yeah.
other side Before it gets too late for you to run away Where will you go and you start to turn And you see it's insecurities begin to take control 